you would think it's a big family reunion. Everybody hasn't seen each other in forever. Do I understand correctly? Right? There's a whole bunch of you? So if you're part of that family reunion, stand up. Yeah, somebody said there's like 300 of you. (laughs) Thanks for joining us today in the middle of your family reunion. You know, I understand why people from Houston would come here for vacation. What I can't understand is why they would go back. (laughs) I said that to one of the guys from Houston. He said, yeah, we're trying to figure that out ourselves. Okay, you've, uh, you've all probably got a bulletin. Uh, read it carefully. There's lots of good information. I want to highlight a couple of things in here. Uh, this is mostly for our members, uh, but that's okay. You could all kind of weigh in on it. This week, we're going to be posting our budget for the next year that you're going to be voting on, and our ministry plan. They'll be on the website, and the bios of the uh, elders that you're going to be voting on. Our elders have passed um, motions to present three candidates to you, Don Wolf, Steve Hill, and Ryan O'Dell. So their bios will be posted this week. The uh, meeting, the congregational meeting is August 26th, Sunday, August 26th. So it's coming up in about a month. So put that on your calendar. Um, we have our first elder meeting, I mean, our elder meeting in August is always set aside for Q&A. So if you want to come and ask questions, it's open for all of you, anybody that wants to come. On the ministry plan, budget, elders, whatever you want to talk about, come by and uh, spend time with us. And that'll be on Wednesday. It's the third Wednesday, August 15th. Okay? So those are important dates. Wednesday, August 15th is a Q&A, a congregational Q&A. Because at our congregational meeting, we don't take the time to discuss the motions. So you'll have all that information. So that's what August 15th is for. And then August 26th is a congregational meeting. So I invite all of you to come, even if you're just a visitor and you want to see what's going on. Uh, today, the second thing, today is right after church, we're having an inquirer's class up at our building. And basically, if you go to the Rappo Cafe, stop sign, turn right, and just go around the corner, you'll see it. We're having an inquirer's class, and what that is, is for those of you that want to learn more about our church, uh, potentially maybe you want to join, not required, but you want to learn about why we do the things we do, what we believe, how we function, I'd love to invite you to, to, uh, to that, lunch is included. And that'll be right after church, probably around 11, 11.30, somewhere in there, depends on whenever we all get there. So, up at the church. Okay, so we are in a series called... The Great Reversal, and we're looking at the Beatitudes. And I want to stop and pray for you because the Beatitudes are about you. Father, I pray for these people that are here, right here today. Uh, I don't know them, but you know that some of them are experiencing poverty, uh, not only financial poverty, but just maybe a dryness in the soul, poor in spirit. I pray that you would bless them. Father, I I know that some of them are mourning. They've experienced loss and tragedy. Um, Comfort them. Be with them. Father, today as we look at meekness, there are some of them that um, are meek and they don't even know it. They're not even sure what that means. Uh, And yet you've promised them that they will inherit blessing. So Lord, you know where every person here in this stadium is, in this amphitheater, And I just pray that you would be with them in whatever part of the journey they're on, whether it's 
filled with blessing and joy right now or trial and tragedy and struggle, be with them. Thank you, Lord. In your son's name, amen. So we're, we've called it the great reversal because uh, the Beatitudes symbolize something that culture is not expecting. It's very, it's very popular to talk about attitudes in terms of ideals, spiritual ideals of what we should be shooting for. But the problem with that is that it doesn't, it doesn't really fit with the other passages on the kingdom. As Mark said last week, how many of you woke up when he talked about mourning? How many of you woke up and said, I want to mourn more today? That doesn't work, does it? I mean, we mourn when we lose people, when things that are tragic happen to us. I've mourned. I've mourned. As many of you know, I lost my first wife. I've mourned. I've lost many good friends. In fact, just last week, I was uh, on Wednesday on the way to a staff meeting, got a call that one of my best friends was killed. Uh, Yeah, I cried. I mourned. And so these are not descriptions of what we are aspiring to. They're, They're descriptions of what reality is like. When you go all the way back into the classical Greek era, the the whole genre, the type, the style of literature that we call beatitude, blessed are, happy are, they were used all the way back in the classical Greek to describe the gods. How happy the gods must be because they don't have us. And all the things that we have here, and you know what, the world was just as messy back then as it is today. Well, it didn't take long before that developed into how happy, happy the emperors and the wealthy people are because they don't have to put up with the mundane stuff that we put up with. You see how that developed? About the same time in the, uh, the Old Te- what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, the Jewish Scriptures, this genre begins to appear in the Psalms, but it begins to describe a state of being. Happy is the one who finds their joy in the Lord. Happy is the one who is forgiven by the Lord. Happy is the one who dwells in the Lord. And so they're describing a state of being that uh, they're beginning to shift away from the world and saying... We find our happiness with God. Then Jesus comes along and turns it all on its head. He takes it in a direction nobody expected. Now, blessed are the people like you. Blessed are the ones like you. Blessed are the ones who are poor in spirit. Luke just says poor. It's so connected with poverty. Some of you out there struggle in a very great way financially. Or you have in the past. I have. I still remember clearly with my first wife before she died, opening the refrigerator and there was nothing there. And I just, we just prayed and said, Lord, if you don't help us, we're not going to eat today. At that time, there was a knock on the, not a knock, I heard a noise outside my door and I opened it up and one of our pastors was sitting there holding two bags of groceries with a piece of paper with our address on it. And he looks up and he goes, I suppose it's too late to be anonymous, huh? But I remember those days. I remember them well. Poor in spirit. And the description and definition of one who is poor in spirit is one who is helpless. Without the Lord, they're helpless. We actually are all in that state. We just don't realize it. That is the true happy person. And then Mark talked last week about blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. That's all of us at some point in life. How many of you have mourned the loss of something? A spouse, a child, a friend, a relative, all of you. 
You know what mourning is. And what Jesus is saying is, you are truly the happy ones. Because we learn something about the kingdom that no one else sees. So today we're in Matthew 5, 5. If you want to follow along, you better get there quick. It's a very, very short verse. I'd quote it from memory, but you, I'd already have begun and you wouldn't even get there. Matthew 5, 5. You all there? It's very short. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. That's it. It's the third beatitude. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Okay, in order to understand this, we have to understand what meekness is. You've probably all heard in your sermons the famous examples, uh, an animal like a horse or a thoroughbred that's under control, strength under control. That's all good, and it does emphasize strength. But when you go back again, when you go back into the classical Greek era, and you look at how they define meekness, meekness was ascribed as a virtue of the kings and the rulers. It was a virtue to be meek, to be under control. It's easy to be under control when you have control. Right? It's easy to be under control when you have control. And then you move a little bit later in history and it begins to apply once again to the wealthy. Blessed are those who are wealthy. This is, this is a virtue because they should be meek. They should be the ones that walk around with this strength under control, this idea. Well, of course, it's easy to be like that when you're wealthy and you don't have uh, tri- uh, trials and financial struggles and things like that. At the same time, though, something begins to happen in the Old Testament. Mark last week mentioned the Septuagint. How many of you have heard of the Septuagint? Let me see. Okay. That version of the Hebrew Scriptures, that was the Bible that most of the early Christians had in the early church. It was probably Paul's Bible. Almost everything he quotes is right out of the Septuagint. The great thing about the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Bible, it gives us a chance to look at how those er- the early church understood the Hebrew Scriptures by the Greek words that they used to translate it, and then those appeared again in the New Testament. Guess what one of the words they translate into the word meek? Poor. Just what we saw two weeks ago. Blessed are the poor. And you know what the Bible does? It begins to introduce meekness in a whole different light than what the world had seen. Let me give you an example of this. Famous verse out of Zechariah 9.9. You've all heard this many times. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. We say that on Palm Sunday, don't we? That's a verse we often quote. So the king comes, and we learn later on that that's the Messiah, that's Jesus. He comes into Jerusalem. He's riding on a donkey. He comes lowly. There's that word for meekness right there. Meekness. A little different than poverty. If poverty is focused on helplessness, meekness is focused on dependence. But they're two sides of the same coin. They're two sides of the same coin. You see, a meek person 
is one who is enduring oppression. It could be in the form of taxation. Anybody in here taxed? Uh Uh-huh, that's what I thought. Anybody in here taxed a lot? Uh Uh-huh, that's what I thought. Okay, anybody in here under a a, a boss or supervisor who's kind of a tyrant? Uh Uh-huh. Anybody been fired? Huh. Laid off? Let go? That's what we're talking about. In the midst of this type of activity in your life, you stand strong. That's where strength comes into it. Strength under control. That's what meekness is all about. Is those are the people who, whose backs are bent over from the weight of oppression. In the first century, it would easily apply to slaves. But today, you've been there at times in your life. You know what it's like. You see how connected it is with poor, with poverty? These go together. These are the people Jesus is talking about. That's you and me that are truly happy, that are blessed. So what does he say at the beginning? Blessed are the poor in spirit because they are in the kingdom. Blessed are the, those who mourn. They will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. They shall inherit the earth. They will inherit the earth. This is, emphasis is not on the future. This is uncertainty. It's going to happen. You can count on it. That's what he's talking about. But then he goes further and says, Blessed are the meek. They shall inherit the earth. They will inherit the earth. What on earth is he talking about there? It's very common, as Mark mentioned last week in Christian circles, to talk about um, eternity from an escapist perspective. We can go all the way back and thank Plato for that. He introduced this, and some of you are familiar with the analogy of the cave. You may have read it in high school, college, someplace like that. Basically, he argued that you can't, we can't see true reality. He, pictures, he gives us a picture of an analogy of somebody sitting in a cave and there's a flame behind them. I know this is simplified. But um, they're looking at the back of the cave and people are walking back and forth and they see shadows. If they could turn around, they would see true reality. But they can't. The only way to achieve true reality is to escape the bounds of the earth, materialism. That permeated every religion on the planet including Christianity. What does it look like for us? Everything will be okay when we die and go to heaven. There's just a problem with that. Jesus said, I came that you might have an abundant, fulfilled life and that you might have it now. You have the fruit of the Spirit right now. Paul says you have the deposit of the Holy Spirit right now. And you see, eternity begins for us now. We're not trying to escape and get away. We're beginning to taste what's really coming today. We're enjoying it. We are part of it today. This comes right out of Psalm 37 is where this is quoted from. I'm going to read to you parts of Psalm 37, and I want you to think about these things. Psalm 37 is asking a question that we wrestle with perennially. It's all the time. Why on earth do the wicked prosper? Why? Why do they have more money than us? Why do they have better promotions? I love to sail. I have a 22-foot sloop just parked right down here. Why do I only have a 22-foot sloop? I told Nancy the problem is I only have one set of spreaders on my mast. I need two. That means it's bigger. Nancy says, oh, great, now you have spreader envy. 
Why do the wicked prosper? And this is what he's wrestling with. Now, I want you to pay attention to two phrases. One is, do not fret. And the other one is, land. Land. Because he quotes right out of this. So I'm going to read you sections of this. Just enjoy the journey and think about this. Because he's giving advice to common people. Do not fret. That's how it starts out. Do not fret. Because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither, and like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land. Okay. Genesis 12. Go to the land, he says to Abraham, that I'm going to show you. That became symbolic of the promised land. The promised land was a place where the land would care for you. That goes all the way back to creation. Serve the earth because the earth is going to take care of you. That's why creation care is so vital to Christian theology. It should be. We should be the best environmentalists in the world because this is a gift from God. All the way back there. So he says, dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. The assumption in this whole chapter of Psalm is that uh, the evil people are already in the land. Well, that's true even when the Israelites were there. King Ahab. Remember that story? King after king after king were evil. The evil people were there. So this psalm is directed at the people that live there. Take delight in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. But stand before you and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret. There it is again. Second time, do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from evil and turn from wrath. Verse 8, do not fret. You see the repetition here? Hopefully you're catching on. Relax. God understands. He's got it under control. Do not fret. It only leads to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed and those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. There's the second time. This occurs seven times in this chapter. They will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land. There's Matthew 5, 5, right? in Psalm 37. The meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. The wicked plot against the righteous. They gnash their teeth at them. The Lord laughs at them. He laughs at them. I just have great thoughts of the Lord sitting up there laughing at people that try to do me harm. He laughs at them for he knows their day is coming. The wicked draw the sword. They bend the bow to bring down the poor and the needy. This is meekness in a Christian sense. To oppress the poor and the needy. To slay those whose ways are upright. All the way down to verse 21. The wicked borrow and they do not repay. But the righteous give generously. Those the Lord blesses will inherit the land. There it is. Those he curses will be destroyed. The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. I was young. If you memorize one verse in scripture, this might be a good one. I was young. Now I am old. Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. That's worth the price of today's admission ticket. That's it right there. 
This is all of Christian theology summed up in one verse. I, am, I was young, now I am old, and yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. They're always generous and they lend freely. Their children will be a blessing. Turn from evil and do good, then you will dwell in the land forever. For the Lord loves the just and will not forsake his faithful ones. Wrongdoers will be completely destroyed. The offspring of the wicked will perish. The righteous will inherit. What do you think is coming? The land and dwell in it forever. Down to verse 34. Hope in the Lord and keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit. Say it. The land. When the wicked are destroyed, you will see it. Verse 39. The salvation of the righteous come from the Lord. He is their stronghold in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Okay, what did Jesus say? Blessed are the meek. They shall inherit the earth. You see, you go all the way back to Abraham. We can start now to tie it together. God says to Abraham, go to the land that I'm going to show you. I will bless you. He leads the Israelites out of Egypt and says, go to this land, the land that I'm promising you. I will show you. All throughout the Psalms, the righteous will dwell in the land. That's where dwelling comes. Jesus comes along in Matthew 5 and says, blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 4. He ties it all together. Romans 4.13 It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be the heir of the world, but through righteousness that comes by faith. And you know what we realize? Our inheritance is right here. One day evil will be dealt with. It'll be gone. But we are already beginning to enjoy it. How many of you enjoy the mountains? It's no wonder the Apostles' Creed begins. I believe in God the Father Almighty. What's the next word? Creator of heaven and earth. You see, heaven in the Bible, is always God's domain. It's the realm where he lives. It's the realm of blessing, the realm of innocence. It's the realm of everything good that we imagine. Earth is our domain. And so the picture is that earth, I mean the heaven, comes to us. So Jesus is pictured as coming back. Remember when he ascended and the angel said to the disciples, why are you staring in his face? The same Jesus who you saw is coming back the same way. What's pictured at the end of Revelation? The new heavens and the new earth are descending. We have a deposit. We have a taste right here. By the way, when you look through the evangelistic sermons in Acts, Peter and Paul, and you look through the like Colossians 1 and all those famous passages, when they're describing things, where do they always start? creation so i had the privilege of talking to a young man who didn't know christ and we were uh, and i was telling him about he said tell me something about your god and we were having a conversation in the coffee shop and i said uh you see the mountains out there he made all that and this young man turned around 
with his back to me, he stared out the mountains for two or three minutes. And he turned back around and he said, why? And I said, two reasons. One is so that you would enjoy it. Do you enjoy it? And he said, absolutely. And I said, you are already making God happy. Already. But the second reason is even more important. The heavens shout the glory of God. It's so you know that you're not alone, that there is a true living God who is present. How can you stare at this and find think the other? Blessed are the meek. They shall inherit the earth. You see what's wonderful about eternity. Number one is we don't have to escape here to begin to enjoy it. Because this is not a future promise. This is a promise of certainty. Because in the opening beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, they are already in the kingdom. They have the kingdom. Therefore, inheriting the earth is a certainty. This is our home. But the difference is, the Messiah, Jesus, is coming back to live with us for eternity. There's a technical term for that. It's called the hypostatic union. Fully God, fully human, united in one body for eternity. You see, the sacrifice of Jesus isn't only on the cross. The sacrifice of Jesus is for all of eternity. Because he has adopted humanity. He will come to live with us. That's when heaven and earth merge. We call that the new heavens and the new earth. And the people of God, the new Jerusalem, dwell in that. This is our inheritance. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those of you who have felt oppression. Blessed are those of you who have been treated very poorly and yet you have the strength to stand up with courage and faith in the middle of it because this is your inheritance. By the way, inheritance is a legal term in the Bible. It means you own it. It means you own it. No wonder the world can't understand this. Jesus goes for the undercut of society. He goes for the bottom strata, which is us, and says we are the truly blessed ones. It's not the rulers, not the emperors, not the presidents, not the CEOs. It's not the wealthy. No, it's those of us that live day to day with the the trials and struggles of life. We are the ones who are blessed. So what is keeping you from enjoying that? Is your mind distracted or your eyes distracted by losing a job? Is that what you're distracted by? Trying to make ends meet? And I understand it. I get it. Are you able to stand firm in the middle of that and trust the Lord? Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for sending us your son. Thank you for honoring the meek, those who... Uh, their backs are bent under the weight of a fallen world. Thank you for not forgetting us and for blessing us. In your son's name, amen. I'm going to ask the ushers to come and take the offering. Uh, for those of you